0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents "The Roots of Reconstruction" by Rusas John Rustuni, narrated by Shelby Luke.
1: Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of "Roots of Reconstruction." By Russus John Rushdunny. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words. In every area of thought and life. Calcine Report Number 54, February 1970 When a religion begins to die, the people begin to turn against it. Mobs ransack and burn the temples, mock, defy, and express contempt for its priests, and hurl stones and abuse at its defenders. Religions die hard. Their hold on people is profound and far-reaching. When disillusionment sets in and the once faithful believers suspect that the God is dead and the priests are deceivers, their bitterness is intense. They may be better off materially than ever before, but because man does not live by bread alone, the death of man's gods is always a painful thing. We are living now in the last days of a powerful religion, humanism and we are experiencing the bitterness of its disillusionment. We are witnessing the death of its God, man as God, and this God dies with real blood. Horace Mann, the founder of the state-supported public schools movement in the United States, saw the public school and university as man's true church and his great hope of salvation. As I pointed out, In the messianic character of American education, man saw the school as, quote, the agency which can change society and create a true utopia, paradise on earth, unquote. In man's own words, quote, let the common school be expanded to its capabilities, let it be worked with the efficiency of which it is susceptible, and nine-tenths of all the crimes in the penal code would become obsolete. The long catalogue of human ills would be abridged, men would walk more safely by day, every pillow would be more inviolable by night, property, life, and character held by a stronger tenure, all rational hopes respecting the future brightened. Unquote. This was in the early 1830s. By 1886, Zach Montgomery, prominent attorney and assistant attorney general of the U.S., had pointed out in the school question that a rising crime rate followed the introduction of the public schools in every state. Even the conservative status education of that day could not give the moral discipline and the faith undergirding that discipline which Christian schools had given. Not too many years ago, criticism of the public schools and universities was tantamount to blasphemy. And indeed, it was blasphemy to the humanists. Anyone criticizing these, quote, sacred halls of learning, unquote, was regarded as either dangerous or stupid. Ironically, today it is the children of humanism who are destroying their own temples. The Los Angeles Herald-Examiner, Sunday, January 25, 1970, page A8, Robert Knowles, quote, School vandals cost whopping $2.4 million, unquote gives us a sorry picture of the cost of vandalism in Los Angeles County's 86 elementary and high school districts in fiscal 1968-69. $2.4 million. At that, Los Angeles County got off lightly when compared to other major urban schools. The attacks are largely motivated by sheer hatred, by a desire to destroy a symbol of a failing faith, the public school the same is true in our colleges and universities virtually all of which are controlled either by state or by federal funds the quote private unquote university has virtually ceased to exist stanford for example recently had between 40 to 42 million per year in federal funds as against 29 million dollars from private sources Since much of the $29 represented endowed funds, the actual amount from living donors was very much less. Stanford thus is better described as a federal university than a private one. And the same is true of all our major older universities of supposedly quote private unquote character. In these colleges and universities, the hatred and contempt for administration and faculty is often intense. It is a hatred shared even by those who do not demonstrate and write. The faculty, bewildered priest of an old and fading cult, cannot understand why they are hated and despised. Their hope is that somehow the mood will change, and the rites of the temples of learning will return to their old established authority. But humanism has on its hands a dead God who cannot be resurrected. And it has bitter worshippers whose hopes have been confounded. Humanism has not brought in an age of peace, but rather the era of total war. It has not made man more peaceful, but rather more radically at war with all things and with himself. It has not solved man's basic problems, but rather aggravated them. Malaria and smallpox have been largely eliminated in its central areas but ulcers and heart attacks have replaced them. Man's growing inner pollution has been progressively matched by a radical pollution of his world. Now the grim fact has been discovered that the plankton of the ocean, source of 70% of the Earth's oxygen, are being killed by pesticides, and humanistic man is afraid and angry. Like the angry and disillusioned believers of old, he turns on his priests, the educators, and on his temples, the schools. He turns on the world of humanism and its great cities and cries, quote, Burn, baby, burn, unquote. Men of faith build. Men whose faith is dying, and they dying with it, have instead an urge to destroy. The Vandals now destroying the Rome of humanism are its own sons. Men of faith build. The era of humanism culminated in a time of dissection. Scholarship came to mean endless analysis of a dissecting variety. Psychology replaced faith in self-analysis action. Ulcers became the hallmark of a humanistic culture, man destroying himself. Then came the days of burning, when schools, state buildings, and cities became the targets of destruction. In a time of destruction, growth is not too conspicuous. In a forest being cut down or newly burnt over, the little sprouts of fresh growth do not loom too large, but they are there. The new growth is definitely all around us. The Christian school movement is the most conspicuous example. Since covenant children belong in covenant schools, Christians are steadily creating a new society by means of Christian education. A highly disciplined, better trained, and truly educated youth is in the making. The Christian school is based on the logical premise that while the gods of humanism are dead, the Christian God is not dead. Our choice of schools indicates our faith. If our God is left out of every area of life, or virtually every area, when we subscribe to the death of our God, or at least His basic irrelevance to our world, the growth and popularity of Christian schools means that, for more and more people, the God of Scripture is alive, even as the growing collapse of statist education signals the death of the religion of humanism. So the growing strength of the Christian school movement heralds the fact that God is alive and strong. By faith in Him, a generation is growing strong and holds a promise of reconstruction. But the death of humanism in the days ahead will take down with it all those institutions associated with humanism, and today that includes virtually every church. Humanism has deeply infected and captured Eastern Orthodox churches, the Roman Catholic Church, and Protestant churches, including, quote, evangelical, unquote, churches, and they will pay the penalty for their infection and surrender. Men of faith build. Their eyes are on the future, not on a return to the past. One of the tragic examples of a man looking backward was the great Roman general Stilicho. He was born a vandal, became the highest officer under the emperor in Rome, and married into the imperial family. Stilicho was deeply moved and impressed by the past glory of Rome. It was his life's hope to restore and strengthen Rome's glory. Again and again, Stilicho, a vandal of humble birth, saved Rome and stopped the invading Visigoths under Alaric. But within Rome, the decay was deep in men's hearts, and as a result, Stilicho was hated for his barbarian origin and his power. As a result, the emperor was prevailed upon to sentence Stilicho to death for high treason. Although innocent, according to Giorgio Falco, he did not resist. He could have counted on the soldiers to defend him, but in loyalty to Rome, he refused to start a civil war and obediently bent his head to the executioner's axe. As a result, Alaric, on August 24th, 410 AD, entered Rome and sacked it. Stilicho was a very great man, but he could build nothing because his vision was geared to the past, to a dying order, not to the future. Somewhat later, Theodoric the Great, 455-526, through failed for the same reason. His very able mind and his exceptional powers made him a remarkable monarch of an Ostrogoth kingdom in Italy. Few men have seen the issue with respect to law more clearly than Theodoric. He wrote to the Provencals when he annexed them to his kingdom. Here you are then by the grace of providence back in the Roman society and restored to your ancient liberty. Take back then also customs worthy of the people who wear the toga. Strip yourselves of barbarity and ferocity. What could be more beautiful than to live under the rule of the right, to be under the protection of the laws and have nothing to fear? Law is the guarantee against all weakness and the fount of civilization. Individual caprice belongs to barbarity." Few men have equaled that insight, but it was misdirected in Theodore, Although he gave Italy in his thirty years reign a peace and prosperity it had not enjoyed for centuries, His life was a failure, because his vision was directed also to Rome's past glory. And the old Romans rejected him. Even more, Rome was dead. The future belonged to Christ. The future always belongs to Christ, because he is always Lord of history, the maker and sustainer of all things, and their absolute judge. Christ's words to us in a time of burning and of dying gods is still this, Quote, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. Unquote. Matthew 8.22 Nehemiah, when he began a work of reconstruction among the ruins, wasted no time in negotiations with the men of the past. He continued working on the walls, declaring, quote, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Unquote. Nehemiah six three. The schools, churches, and institutions of the dead must not hold us, we have a great work to do, reconstruction under the mandate of the sovereign and living God. Certainly, there is destruction and burning all around us. The modern bell worshippers are turning on their gods, and their gods are destroying them. Isaiah long ago warned his generation, saying, "See ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of?" Unquote. Isaiah two twenty two. But faith in man is the essence of humanism, and it is the foundation of modern politics and economics. God, as sovereign Lord, is able to create out of nothing. In humanism, status man is given credit for the same power, the ability to create out of nothing, or so the humanist believes. John Law, the father of the economics of virtually every civil government in the modern world, Believe that money and wealth can be created out of nothing. Quote, I have invented a new kind of currency, Unquote. John Law wrote. Quote, what is this coin you are holding in your hand at this moment? It is a piece of metal which bears an impression. What are you now in need of? Cash. I cannot create metal, but I am able to multiply the impression by having it put upon paper. And for my own part, I maintain that it is the impression that is the cash. Just reflect. Yesterday, when the last of the cash in the Bank of Scotland was paid out, there were people who said, but the bills are still in circulation. I pledge my paper money on land, and I might pledge it upon the wealth contained in the ocean. The ideal method would be to pledge it upon nothing at all. But human beings have not yet reached such an advanced stage that they can accept confidence as their only guarantee. You are poor because you have no cash. I am giving you some. My paper currency can and must be always equal to the demand made for it. Thanks to it, the inhabitants of this country will have employment. Manufacturers will be greatly improved. Home and foreign trade will be extended and power and riches will be gained, Law stated it honestly, this modern faith. Man, the Creator, can create instant money and virtually instant wealth. The basis of this money is, quote, confidence, unquote. Trust in man, trust in the state. But Isaiah warned against trusting in man, and he called attention to the debased coinage of his day as an offense against God's order. Isaiah one twenty two Paper money is a fitting symbol for the dying world of humanism, like the temples of humanism, it too being burned, in this case by inflation. Wise men will keep the smoke out of their eyes and build. The whole world desires to conquer in Christ. This is our duty and our calling, and we shall do it. Calcine Report, number 55, March 1970. One of the more delightful comic strips, quote, Ebb and Flow," unquote, in its February 6, 1970, number was a very telling point. When Mabel comes to visit Flo, she learns that Flo's husband, Ebb, has gone to a big youth rally in town. Mabel asks, quote, youth rally? You mean all those hippies, hell's angels, and skinheads? Why? Is he thinking of joining them? Flo answers, quote, Never. He just goes to their meetings to keep his disgust fresh. Here the humorist has put his finger on the essence of much religion and morality today. It lacks any real faith. It is essentially negative, and its main impetus is disgust. More than a few prominent religious figures who present themselves as bold warriors of the Lord have really only one essential purpose, to keep disgust fresh. They publish by press, books, radio, and sometimes television, as well as in person a stream of exposures about the menaces to church and state. Their purpose is essentially to freshen disgust. Beyond that, they have little in the way of a gospel to present and their morality is often suspect. The same is true of many political commentators of the right and the left. There is a continual turnover of periodicals, newsletters, and radio programs as both sides trot out their horror stories and then give way to someone else who is better at keeping disgust fresh. Take away fresh disgust, and you rob a vast number of people of the most important part of their intellectual, religious, and moral diet. With many, it becomes their whole life. In one so-called, evangelical, unquote, church, one of the largest movie attendants is forbidden to members. A prominent woman in the church regularly sees and reviews all the worst films before a large church midweek gathering to freshen their sanctimonious disgust. A man now in his 50s, to cite another case, is still busy. When last heard from, collecting clippings, and data, to prove to his comrades that a fascist revolution is about to capture America. He began his task in the 1940s. He feels it is his duty to keep the faith by freshening disgust. What lies behind this kind of mentality is Phariseeism. A Catholic woman no better than she had to be loved, calling attention to her priest's flagrant sins. Her attitude was this, quote, if he's a Christian, I'm a saint. Unquote. A Presbyterian layman of sorry character delighted secretly in the bad character of his pastor. Quote, I'm a lot better Christian than he is. Unquote. Neither one was ever happy with a good pastor. The bad ones pleased them. The bad pastors gave them grounds for fresh disgust. Their mentality was exactly that of the Pharisee of whom Christ spoke, whose prayer was in essence simply this. "...God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican." Luke 18.11 Here is the heart of the matter. The Pharisee needs a continual tale of evil, a steady recital of the depravity of men and movements around him in order to feel a moral glow. His self-justification is the sight of fresh evil in others. Hence, such people need and demand fresh evil. Is the new movie worse than any before? A fresh departure in evil? They attend it to freshen their disgust and keep their moral glow. Are there new exposures of corruption in politics? Millions of voters find it a wonderful means of self-justification. The nasty, evil men are plotting them into evil and corruption. It is not their own corruption writ large. One brilliant professor at a major university spent an evening reciting the tales of perversion and degeneracy within his circles, amazing accounts of the moral bankruptcy of a group of scholars. His stories were true, but subsequent events proved his own activities were equally degenerate and brought about his own destruction. His self justification had been to freshen his disgust at his colleague's similar degeneracy. Much historical quote, debunking unquote, has rested on shaky moral foundations. Is the answer positive thinking? God forbid. Man cannot live by bread alone, nor by fresh disgust, nor by positive thinking. Quote, I think only positive thoughts, unquote, a woman told me. Quote, anything negative mores life and ages a person, unquote. Her husband had to do the negative thinking with respect to the children and every other family responsibility. Every positive thinker is a parasite and requires some family member or associate to do the negative thinking, which is inescapable in life. Progress requires its, quote, nay, unquote, as well as its, quote, yay, unquote. Am I suggesting that we refuse to expose evil or to examine it? On the contrary, the only valid ground for examining evil is that positive action be taken, and this involves more than mere negation. Mere counteraction leaves the initiative to evil. A Pharisaic, quote, tut-tut, unquote, is not improved if millions of people are organized to say, quote, tut-tut, unquote, together. Our Lord declared, quote, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, unquote. Matthew 4, 4. Now the word of God is not a sterile word. Most churches to the contrary. It is a creative word. When man lives by every word of God, he begins to remake the world around him in terms of that creative word. Is a man living by that creative word? then he is at work establishing godly institutions, not in looking for fresh disgust. Those who have no creative word hate those who live by it. One man who has established three new churches in a few years and a truly great Christian school was recently the target of trouble from these living dead men. They tried vainly to freshen their disgust by finding fault with him. The Pharisee must be able to say, quote, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Unquote. He needs these scoundrels to keep his disgust fresh and his self-righteousness flourishing. His greatest enemy, a constant affront to him, is the godly man who, in terms of the creative word, is actively engaged in godly reconstruction. Against all such, the hand of the Pharisee is forever raised. The Pharisee claims to be the only true believer the only activist, and the only person, quote, alive to the issues, unquote. Can anyone else compile a like record for, quote, exposing, unquote, evil, for nosing out the living men and demanding they be disciplined for accomplishing something, and for getting ever greater responses of fresh disgust? The Pharisee needs evil. It is the air he breathes. Men who live by the creative word of God know the reality of evil all around. It was there when they were born, and it will be there when they die. For them, the important question is this. Will they have extended the boundaries of the kingdom of God a little further before they die? Will they have exercised dominion under God and subdued the earth in terms of His creation mandate? The world was not empty when we came into it. We must add more than a Pharisaic tut tut unquote, to it before we leave. The church in the apostolic and post apostolic age was not a great force numerically. It did not even possess a church building for probably two centuries. Yet Rome felt it necessary to wage a war unto death against these quote, followers of the way. Unquote. By their family life and their sexual morality, by their quiet stand against things like abortion, by their strict obedience to the law of God, and by their strong sense of charity and mutual care for one another. These, quote, followers of the way, unquote, members of Jesus Christ were creating a new social order in the midst of an old one. Let the dead bury the dead. The living must follow their king in the task of making all things new. But if you want to keep your disgust fresh, Move over into Sodom and take out your citizenship papers. You'll be happy there. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushby. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus.
2: It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. The love he has shown us by his pain the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me. deserves vision